Hello and welcome, Friartown. Today is January 7th, and we are going to be joined by New York City and Friar legend, God Sham God. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode six of the Friar Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie. And as I alluded to at the end of episode five, I have an extremely special guest here with me today, somebody who I met a couple years back and was was super real and awesome to take a picture with me back in the day. I remember the Friars had just won a recent game, and I was over at the Weston Hotel and got to grab a pick with the legend himself, God Sham God, and I'm just honored to be joined by him today. He's done so much work in the NBA. He's won a Big East title with our Friars, and he's just a great representation of Friartown. God Sham God, welcome to the Friar Podcast. Uh, thank you for having me on the Friar Podcast and, you know, just honored to be here, you know, to even be talking to, you know, the Friars and talking to yourself, you know, it's just, you know, it's been a long journey for me, you know, and the Friars are a great part of my story and a part of my life and a part of who I am as a person. Yeah. And we can't thank you enough for all the great memories you gave us. We're going to get into it. But before we get there, we'd just be curious to know, what's your favorite Providence restaurant? Favorite Providence restaurant? Oh, I forgot the name, but it's a breakfast spot. Like, it's right by the school. Oh, is it Papa Polly's? Um, yeah, Papa Polly's. They make the good breakfast. Like, we used to go there uh, every morning and... You know, when I was coaching, um, I used to go there every morning with Corey Wright. You know, that was Corey Wright, one of Corey Wright's favorite places. So we used to go there a lot. And it was right down the street. And, then, you know, it's good prices, good food. So, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. There's something about that, like, local spot down the street from campus, especially in Providence, just mm-hmm. so so well-known for their food and, and their and their culture. So I'm gl- glad you enjoyed the breakfast over at Papa Polly's. I'm sure a lot of the students feel the same way. Yeah, always, always, always a good place. And they, you know, represents Providence College in the Town. And, God, recently you had a Players' Tribune article drop. It's called The Word of God. Uh, it's been a huge hit for, for, for Friar fans and NBA fans alike. I really just want to get us kicked off here with, you know, you talked about your move first from Brooklyn to Harlem. You know, you talked about how Brooklyn isn't the Brooklyn we know it to be today. And yeah. I, I live in the New York area and, you know, there's a lot of breweries and things that have popped up and, you know, there's been a lot mm-hmm. of gentrification and stuff. But you talked about your move to Harlem and you talked about how that was yeah. show. You talked about how that was showtime. Can you talk about like yeah. your friendship with Mace? And Tiny Archibald being your gym teacher? Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I mean, in my players' children, um, you know, I, when I lived in Brooklyn, I lived in Brooklyn from the time I was born till I was uh, like eight, nine years old. And, um, you know, in Brooklyn, it was just like real tough. You know, I lived in Crown Heights. I lived in Best Stuyvesant. You know, for people that know, that's where Biggie Smalls is from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up there. And it was just more like karate, wrestling, fighting, you know. And then when I moved to Harlem, you know, my father got locked up. I had moved to Harlem. And Harlem was just like a whole new world. Harlem was like, you know, fly clothes. Like, I never seen so many kids with with, with fly clothes, like name brand clothes. And, um, mm-hmm. and just so much going on, like partying, uh, whether it was uh, park, Rucker Park, basketball. But it was just so much flash and everything was so fast paced moving when I moved to Harlem and everything was so much about money and about how you look, how you talk, how you walk. And, you know, so when I got up there, 
you know, at that point I have never, I have never played basketball in my life. Um, I wasn't even thinking about basketball because my father, used to, before he went to jail, he used to train boxers. And, um, you know, he trained Mark Breland, who was a champion one time. So, uh, like, mostly, like I said, in Brooklyn, I just grew up, like, learning how to fight and things like that. So when I moved to Harlem, you know, I moved on 142nd Street. You know, um, 142nd Street, they call it Crime Square. That's, like, one of the roughest blocks in Harlem. And a couple of streets down, um, a guy named Mace which everybody knows as Mace, the rapper right now. And Cameron is a rapper right now from Dipset. Um, so I went to PS92, and Mace was the first person I met when I moved to Harlem. He uh, he was like the star of the school, mm-hmm. and he used to like play basketball. He was real smart in school. And all the teachers used to always be like, yeah, you know, if there's anybody to follow, you should follow Mace. And, and then I started coming outside when I was uptown, and I was like, even though it was like Crime Square, it was called Crime Square, and it was like gritty, a lot of drugs and stuff. It was also a population of like great basketball players and great rappers, you know, like God bless, you know, rest in peace. You know, a famous rapper called Big L, mm-hmm. he got killed when I was growing up. And he's like one of the famous rappers, one of the famous legends. And in this in this whole neighborhood, it's, it's only was like, if I could picture it, like, I lived on 142nd Street, so Harlem is, like, really 140th to, like, uh, 155th Street. So it's, like, about 15 blocks. And then and in this area, it was just so much talent. So I, I had no choice but to be immersed in it. And then when I, um, like I said, when I started hanging out with Mace, uh, he took me to watch this game. He was like, hey, we're going to watch this basketball game. So we went to 150 to watch this basketball game. And like I said, up until that point, I have never seen basketball. Never seen it on TV, never none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. The day I went happened to be the all-star game of this of this great tournament. And for a kid from Brooklyn that didn't know nothing about basketball, this is the first time I was introduced into basketball. So it was like fantasy island. It was like nothing I've never seen. It was entertainment. You know, it was it was what the NBA is now. Like, not the same talent level, but I'm just saying the same uh, charisma, the same flair, the same everything in my eyes at that age. You know, it was like, these are the best basketball players I thought I probably would ever see in my life at that point. And it was so many women, so many uh, guys, just so many flashy cars. And at that moment, I knew like I felt like I fell in love with something. There was a quote in the Players Tribune article I loved where you were just, you know, shooting around with Mace and mm-hmm. and and Mace goes, you know, oh, you're you're not gonna be Isaiah Thomas. Like you you obviously <laughs> idolized Isaiah Thomas and, and you go back yeah. at him and you're like, yo, you're you're not gonna be Biggie. Like, you know, Yeah, like, it was <laughs> like it was, it was like it was um it was like a couple of years later. Now at this point we we you know we we done became close and we used to hang out a lot and we used to play one on one. You know, because once I became real good, Mace used to always help me uh, work on moves because he was a good defensive player. So he used to always guard me and play defense on me. And I remember one day we just got into this big argument in front of everybody. And I was like, you know, just like you said, I was like, what? Who you think you is? And he's like, you think you Isaiah Thomas? You ain't going to never be no Isaiah Thomas. Like, what? You think you Biggie Smalls? You're never going to be Biggie Smalls. It's never going to happen. And it's so it's so funny because even when I was in Providence and I, and I and I went to the draft and I got drafted, that was the first uh, year Mace dropped his album too. 
So it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of meant to be. Absolutely. Like the path that me and I was on. Because mostly everything with us probably almost happened like simultaneously. You know, if you understand what I mean. But. 100%. And and for any 90s kid like myself, you know, growing up in Providence, Mace was huge. And then, you know, yeah. like having, and, and you're God Sham God, you know, king mm-hmm. of the handle. So it was, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was meant to be. And I can absolutely see that. Yeah. I, you know, I appreciate how you shared that story in, in, in the article and, and segueing yeah. too. You posted a picture in the article of, of yourself, Stefan Marbury and Biggie Smalls. Like Biggie had actually come out yeah. to one of your high school games. What, yeah. So what was the culture so, of that? I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, that's how it was in New York. It was like, if you're really good at something, then you kind of know the other people that's good at something. That's just how New York is. So mm-hmm. it's funny because even when I came to Providence, you know, and I used to talk to people on campus or people on campus knew, like I knew like Biggie Smalls, I knew Jay-Z, I knew uh, Puff Daddy, or if you want to call him Sean Combs or P. Diddy, whatever you want to call him right now. Mm-hmm. When people knew I knew the other people, they used to be like, man. In the beginning, they used to thought like, not that I was lying, they just was like, man, how does this guy know everybody from New York? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, how do you know everybody? And it's funny because when me and Mace used to talk, uh, he used to say the same thing. Like, people used to always tell him that, like, you don't know Sham God or something like that or whatever. But, but New York is, New York is big, but it's small at the same time if you're like, immersed in that environment of like, you know, what I want to say is like childhood stardom, you know, because, you know, it's, 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 it's really no fame, like the fame from the streets or the fame from your peers, you know, and this is a time with no social media, no YouTube, none of this stuff. So at that point, uh, you became famous word of mouth. So you became known word of mouth. So if you become known word of mouth, it means so much more. Because Absolutely. somebody's really like telling you this. It's not like you're putting a video up on YouTube or something where you in the gym, you just like not missing no shots on YouTube. And somebody said, man, every time I see these guys on YouTube, he's just never missed a shot. That's impossible. So, you know, it's, it's, it's more better when it comes uh, word of mouth. So, as I said, growing up in that, and that era was so like key for me because you got to think like, even though like my first, real time in basketball is 155th Street and watching streetball players. Then I go to junior high school and, you know, my PE teacher is Tiny Archibald, you know, which at this point, I don't even know who Tiny Archibald is, Yeah, you know, because I, because I haven't watched basketball and, you know, for people um, in the Rhode Island area and Boston area, you know, of course they know who Tiny Archibald is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then later on for me to find out he's top 50 basketball player ever. Yeah. And at that point, when he's trying to correct me and trying to tell me how to get better as a basketball player, you know, I'm telling my friends, man, you know, this guy, I don't know what the hell he's talking about and stuff like that. And then for me to later on uh, come back humble and have, have to figure out how to talk to him and pick his brain on things is amazing within itself. And even to this day, you know, 25 years later, you know, he's one of my mentors and one of my friends. So it's like, you know, my whole journey, like God had put people in my life to kind of like help guide me at this point. At the time I need, at the time I needed guidance or to help me stay on track or stay on course of things that was to come in my life. I think you said it best when you said New York is big, but it's so small too. Like, you know, I, I work in the New York yeah. area and I, and I, and I feel yeah. this, I feel the same way, but I, I think for, for you, Sham, that, you know, you talked about in the article again, 
10,000 hours of dribbling, constant nights where you were the only one out there, your friends would be going over to block parties and you would say, hey, I'm going to stick back and I'm just going to, you know, sit by the streetlight and dribble. And, mm-hmm. you know, can you tell the young hoopers today, you know, what it really takes to make it to that level of greatness? Man, um, I remember one time I read an article and Oscar Robinson, he was saying, the big old, he was saying, like, for you to be great at anything, it takes at least eight hours a day or six hours a day. Mm-hmm. And I could attest to that's being true because, like I said, I used to dribble at least six to ten hours a day or just be in the park playing. I would dribble in the morning, go play, dribble at night, you know, dribble walking to my apartment, stuff like that. So it takes that amount of time and effort for you to be good at anything. And, you know, it's even like when somebody tell you about getting a jump shot, they said it take 10,000 10, hours or 10,000 shots, you know, to recorrect to correct something. And I really believe that. So for me, if you love it, it's not work. You know, mm-hmm. it's not work. It's fun. And in the midst of me doing all that, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was like thinking like, man, I'm doing all these hours. It was fun. It was my imagination. I was, you know, with myself. It was kind of like, if you watch the movie, uh, Above the Rim, yeah. with Tupac Shakur, and the guy Nutso that was in the park dribbling all the time, but he wasn't really nuts. You know, he was his big brother. He should just go to the park. And like I said, that was me. Like my friends, like Cameron, Mace, they got all of them used to walk past the park and I'll be in the park dribbling. It could be raining. They'll see me in there just dribbling, practicing, shooting. I remember I used to do dribble move and throw behind the back pass to the gate, like over and over again, like just throwing passes to the gates and stuff like that. And they'll come back from the party. They could be like 2.30 in the morning. They come back from party. I'm still in the park, about mm-hmm. to go home. You know, so, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was just it just was a part of me. It was just a way of life. And, you know, I think, you know, most kids now, nowadays, they, they like basketball, but I don't think they love basketball. Like, for mm-hmm. me, it was like I felt when I was growing up and for the people that was around me growing up, you know, basketball is like the only option. Like, we loved basketball. Like, we didn't have social media we didn't have we wasn't playing uh video games 10 hours a day and things like that so you know we was always excuse me, we was always outside and we was always trying to be creative and trying to be better than each other and then i hung around a lot of basketball players whether stefan marbury skip to my little ray for austin kareem reed you know melvin mckeezy you know these these was my peers but i also looked up to them too because at that point they were better than me as basketball players. Uh, my guy, Ali Mo, Black Widow, rest in peace, you know, from N1 Mixtapes. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, I just always wanted to be accepted, always wanted to be good. And I just always knew, like, anything I put my mind to that I, I could achieve. So I just worked hard, and that was one of the things that I loved. So I just worked hard at it. And the rest turned out how it turned out. So take me back to 1995. There was nothing better back then, especially, and it's still the most revered high school game in America, the McDonald's All-American game. Like to have that McDonald's yeah. logo, to have that McDonald's logo across your chest, it must have been an amazing feeling. But I mean, the guys you played with in that game, yeah, you know, or against in that game, Kevin Garnett, yeah, so. Paul Pierce, Antoine Jameson, Sharif Abdul Rahim, Chauncey Billups, Stefan Marbury. Like, tell me about that experience. Yeah. It was um like you said, the name does it was Vince Carter. It was Ron Mercer. 
It was Sharif Abdurrahim, Antoine Jameson, God Bless the Dead, Track the Trailer. You know, it's probably the greatest McDonald's on American game ever, or at least top two. And and for me, that was that was like an amazing, amazing, amazing weekend because you know, like I said, just to be just to be honored to be top twenty-two basketball players in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, and even at that time, because of my dribbling ability and things like that, I was like the uh, the leader of the pack, me and Stephon Marbury. Because if people watched the game, I remember I remember that weekend. I went to get my ears pierced. I went to get both of my ears pierced, and we were so close as friends that the the whole McDonald's of American they went and got their ears pierced. So if you look at the game, we all have band aids on our ears. <laughs> we all got ears pierced at the same times. So it's like. You know, it's like one of the crazy. It's like one of the crazy memories because, you know, for me, even today, we're still close. You know, people mm-hmm. that follow me on Instagram, they see like me and Kevin Garnett still close. Mm-hmm. You know, I just played the I just played the other day against Chauncey Billups because he coached with the Clippers, and me and him are close. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the McDonald's All American class, you know, some like to say you probably have the best dunker and the best dribbler of all time in the same game. You know, so it's like, so just to be mentioned amongst that is an honor. And just to see like the guys, you know, become Hall of Fame and, you know, push basketball to another level, you know, it's just it's just a major feat to myself. And like I said, God has always blessed me to be around good, positive people and influential people. So, you know, that's just another testimony to, to my path and following my path Absolutely. and hard work. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned a lot of greats in, in the 95 McDonald's All-American game, but there was another great that you worked with. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we lost. We lost him too yeah. early. You know, Kobe Bryant, yeah. rest in peace to him and Gigi. Yeah. You worked with Kobe and, and his dad recruited you to, to work with him on his handle. Tell us about that and how that all came together. Yeah, um, I played. I went to uh, the summer of 94, I got invited to uh, ABCD camp, which everybody mm-hmm. know back then is All-American camp. Mm-hmm. And I went there and there was a kid on my team at the time that I thought was from France, but he was from Italy. Mm-hmm. And his name was Kobe Bryant. And, you know, he was, he was, he was, you know, when I first met him, you know, we didn't get along because he was like taking all the shots. And I was just like, man, who does this guy think he is? Like, you know, because at this point, like, most of us didn't even know who he was. And we just knew he walked like Jordan, chewed gum like Jordan, tried to talk like Jordan. So, you know, when you're young and you're at a young age, you make fun of stuff like that. You're like, oh, who this guy think he is? Look, he think he's Jordan. He's never going to be Jordan. You know, stuff like that. And at that point in his life, he knew that he would be, a, like, amongst the great. He had that much confidence in him. So even for us as kids, you know, that's a problem, you know, because it's like, you're like, man, this guy's arrogant. Man, this guy's cocky, you know. But he he just had this undenying thing about him that he that he knew where he was gonna end up and knew who he was gonna become. So then his father, his father was like, Man, you know, my son could do all this stuff, but he really can't dribble. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Can you um teach him some stuff? You know, and I took it as a joke and I was trying to make fun of it. And I was like, Well, I'll be here at six in the morning, so tell him to come six in the morning. Yeah, thinking he wasn't gonna come, and then I get there like you know six thirty seven, and he's dripping sweat, already worked out, and still ready for the next workout. So then we just uh, got this, we just grew this amazing friendship, and you know even up to you know his timely passing, he was one of my closest friends, and it's 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 crazy because mm-hmm. you know like I said in the beginning, his father is the one that recruited me to mm-hmm. work with him. 
And then 25 years later, he recruited me to work with his daughter. Yeah. You know, and like I said in the article, I never thought I would meet somebody with the same mentality or determination as him. And she was the exact, she was the exact same as him mentally and had the same passion. And, you know, when um, his untimely passing, that was like one of the hardest days of my life because, you know, I had just saw him probably uh, two weeks before that. We played the Lakers and, you know, we we hugged and stuff. And he said, um, he said, Gigi, he said, Gigi, tell, tell, tell Sham what you did in the game. And she was like, oh, I hit this girl with the Sham guard and this, this and that. And I was like, and that was the last time, like, I, I, I spoke to I spoke to him physically or her, yeah. you know. And right before that happened, like a week before that, we text back and forth because I was texting him about um, about Luca mm-hmm. and you know stuff like that. And then when that happened, you know, we was on the road at OKC, and that was like one of the worst days of my life because I, I couldn't believe it. You know, when I heard the news and, you know, then once I called, you know, his peoples and stuff and found out it was true, it was just, you know, like it was for the whole world. It was just like, we truly lost somebody special, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Basketball-wise and as a parent and as a husband, he was just, he was just a special person, period. You know, always willing to help, always always there no matter what and you know especially when it came to me and him it was like he didn't even have to say the things he said to people about me mm-hmm. you know 20 years later things like that and that just shows you the person he was period absolutely somebody absolutely larger than life and growing yeah. up in new england like i did you know it's in celtics country there were more kobe bryant jerseys than anything growing up where, where i yeah. you know who would, who would have ever thought that so you know our, our best to his family and you know trans- yeah, transitioning sham you know of course we got to talk about our friars mm-hmm. I, I really just want to highlight you know a couple of things about your career but first you know me being a local kid I, I grew up as a fan of providence basketball my whole life you know my family's from the city and just to be curious to know why did you choose providence in the first place I picked Providence because uh, when I was in a, when I was in the eighth grade, I was um, going I was going to school, and um, you know, you being from New York, mm-hmm. and people that you know, because I don't really know, I don't even think I've been on the train in New England nowhere, so I don't really know how it's set up. Yeah, but like people that know New York, you know, they have turnstiles and things like that in the train station, and I was in the not the eighth grade, the ninth grade. I was going to school. And I was running late and I came down the staircase and I just ran through the train stop. I, like the, the the exit door opened and I just went through. Mm-hmm. And I just went through. And when I went through, it was a cop on the other side. So, of course, you know, that's like considered hopping the train or whatever. Yeah. And and the cop pulled pulled me in the back because, you know, in the, in, the, um, in the train station, they have like holding cells, but not a cell or jail or whatever. But it's like. If you get caught hopping the train and stuff, they give you citations and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they they uh they had got me from for hopping the train, going to the train style. And as I'm getting um taken to the back, it was a coach that coached that talent time. And he was there and he was like, he was telling the police, like, nah, I know him. 
I know him. That Sham guy, he's a good kid. This and that. You know, I'll take responsibility. This and that. So I was like, cool. I was like, all right. So he was, the police was like, do you know him? I said, yeah, he's a coach. So he let me, he put me in his custody. So I just got on the, he had paid for my ticket to get on the train. I went to school. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was trying to convince me to go to his school. He had coached at Talenton High School. Talenton High School back then was like the number one high school in the country. That Agent Orchard, Brian Reese, different people. And what happened was, Tauntown closed down. So when Tauntown closed down, he went and coached at Rice. And everybody know I went to LaSalle Academy. Yep. And then uh, my junior year, he had got the he had got the assistant coach job at Providence. His name is Bobby Gonzalez. So he was already me and him was already close. And because you know because of all that other stuff, we was already close. And he was like, "Hey, I got the job at Providence." You know, we're going to be recruiting you. And this was like a year before I like blew up, blew up and became McDonald's of America. So they been was recruiting me, you know, but at that point, everybody knew I wanted to go to Georgia Tech. I wanted to go to Georgia Tech or Syracuse because Pearl Washington went to Syracuse and Kenny Anderson went to Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And these was like my idols growing up. But then Providence started before everybody. And then, like I said, Bobby Gonzalez, he was assistant coach. So I was like, okay. So I went up to Providence. I'm probably the only McDonald's of American that ever signed a letter of intent on an unofficial visit. I came to PC for Midnight Madness, and I loved it because it was only three hours away from New York. So I had told them, because it, was, it wasn't it was even an official visit. I, I just, he spoke to my AU coach. My AU coach was like, yo, we could drive him up there. So I was like, yeah, I ain't got nothing to do. Let's go up there. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and then I told them, I said, you know, I want to sign, but I'm not going to sign now because I want to go on my other visits. So I went to Syracuse, went to Georgia Tech, went to Maryland, went to Virginia, went to James Mason. And I was like, it was the end of, it was the summer going into my senior year. I was like, well, I want to sign now. I'd rather sign early so I could just focus on basketball. So I went up there twice. I went on two unofficial visits and the second unofficial visit I signed. Like I said, I'm probably the only McDonald's of American I ever signed on an unofficial visit. Like, ain't even take a, a real visit. Yeah, so I just wanted to focus on basketball. And then, you know, I signed. And then, of course, I mean, it worked out how I wanted to work out because I had an amazing senior year. We was number two in the country. I averaged, like, 26 points, like 13 assists. And then I'll never forget because I came up to Providence for an AAU tournament. Right after I signed, and all the fans knew I was playing in the tournament, the AAU tournament. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was in the AAU tournament. Vince Carter was in the AAU tournament. Kobe was in the, in the AB, that AAU tournament. And I got MVP of, the, uh, of that tournament in Rhode Island at uh, CCRI. Yeah. And I got MVP, and, and the fans were happy. They had me on the cover of the papers. So it, was, so it all worked out good. And like I said, I wanted to be close to home. So it was, it was, a, real, it was a real good for me. And, you know, uh, the Big East was probably the number one conference in the country in, in the 90s. So I wanted to go there. And it was the closest thing to the NBA, physical and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, you, your freshman year at Providence, you had the Big East freshman assist record. Yeah. You, you were on the Big East all-rookie team. You joined a fellow New Yorker, Jamel Thomas, and, you know, creating, you know, a, a great duo. And, you know, you talked about the fans, you know, tell us about your freshman year and, you know, what it was like to play for PC right off the bat. I mean, for me, it was amazing because not only was I going there, but four of my friends was going there. Like Jamel Thomas was one of my best friends. 
Corby Wright was one of my best friends from Harlem. And then me and Derek Brown was close friends because I used to always be in Coney Island, me with Stephon Marbury. Yeah. So we used to always be out there and they all was family. So so I knew them. So once I signed, then everybody signed. And then we just said we was going to make this this thing work. And for me, like playing in, you know, back then it was called the Civic Center. Mm-hmm. And um, when I played there, it was like amazing feeling because like the fans, the fans knew everything about me and the fans was just great up there. Even like walking around the town and, you know, the the only thing I regret about it is is I wish I could have gave them two more years, you know, at uh, Providence because it would have been a lot more history made and, and, a, and uh, a lot different, you know, for probably the school and me at that point as far as basketball. But, like, I wouldn't trade my two years uh, at Providence for nothing in the world because I, I still believe, like, Providence has the best fans in college basketball. And they have the most loyal fans. And it's just good people up there. You know, they always mm-hmm. made sure we was good. They always made sure we felt like we was at home. And, you know, I remember uh, to this day I'm close with Dr. Levin. You know he's uh, you know a big PC fan and stuff like that. He do he do he do the dental work for the players and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know and you know it's just it's just it's just an amazing feeling. You know Coach White, the strength trainer, and, and everybody up there. You know they just they just did so much for my for for my life. And even you know at that point they did a, they did a lot for my life, helping me prepare for the NBA, helping me prepare for life, helping me being a good person. And then you know up into Man, I think it's 20 years later. Up until 20 years later, you know, when I went back, they they embraced me like I never left. And that was an even more amazing feeling. Then, you know, um, being, you know, finishing, getting my degree in leadership. And, you know, Bob Driscoll, you know, the AD, Steve Knapp, this is the AD, you know, Coach Cooley, you know, and everybody that took me in, you know, to give me a, um, a second career in basketball you know, a second life in basketball. And, you know, I learned so much up there, you know, doing the coaching time up there, won the Big East tournament, you know, helping, you know, Bryce Cotton, Chris Dunn, you know, Ben Bento, you know, Dante Hinton, and, you know, just 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 the rest of the guys up there. You know, it's just an amazing feeling to be back at Providence College and just, you know, just being where I thought I belong. And it felt like family, and it's always – it's always felt like family with me and the Providence fans. It's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like a, a funny relationship because it's like, it's like I'm like this, like the son of Friartown, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, because I, 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 I see people from all over that's like uh, former alumni at Providence. And I mean, they just, they just embrace me so much and I embrace them. But it's just, it's just one of those feelings where it's like, where I see them, it brings them right back to 1997, and it brings me back to 1997. And you know, just watching the games now, and watching the amazing job that Coach Cooley and the staff is doing up there now, you know, and continuing the legacy, you know, because you know, I tell it's funny because I tell I tell kids like because I trained a lot of kids even before I got to uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, if you want to be if you want to be a star or something like that, you should go to Providence. And they always ask you why. I'm like, because it's so I'm saying it's so close net. They give you such a family vibe, and you're gonna play against the best talent in in college basketball. But you still will be 
in a family environment where you can get embraced the right way and people care about you more than just basketball. And being the small city we are, mm-hmm. Providence basketball is our professional sports team. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, exactly. and you know, we have this underdog mentality in, Pro- in, in Providence as a city that kind of resonates in our play and our fans. And you brought us to a place that we hadn't been in a long time when you brought us on that Elite Eight run. And yeah. you know, some of the guys you played with, like Austin Crozier, NBA guy, Derek Brown, so underrated, you brought him mm-hmm. up, New York yeah. guy. Can you talk about a little bit about that 97 Elite Eight run, like, you know, matching up with Mike Bibby and Woj and, and, and the ups yeah. and downs of that run? Was, I mean, for us, it was, a, it was an amazing run because even then, you know, during the season, we was kind of up and down. And then we hit we hit our strive, like, in the Big East tournament time. But like you said, like you said a few minutes ago, the one thing that was so amazing about that run is because Providence is so used to being, like, the underdogs. And we were underdogs, like, where we come from. Me, Corey Wright, Jamel Thomas, Derek Brown, Ruben Garces, Austin Kojir, Jason Murdoch. You know, it was like, we, we were, like, the stars of underdogs, like... You know, like we wasn't the Arizonas, we wasn't the Dukes. You know, I was, I was the at that time, I was the second All American McDonald's All American to ever go to the school in history. Yeah. You know, until I came back, and then Chris Dunn was the third. I think it was Jimmy Walker, me, and then Chris Dunn. Far right. as far as All American, when you stepped on campus, and you know, I remember when Pete Gillen, we played Duke, and Pete Gillen was like, yeah, you know. Uh, we eat at McDonald's. Duke got all the McDonald's all American, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, and it was just a, it was just a funny segue at the time. But when I think about it, you know, we took we took we took Providence on a roll, and that was the most amazing thing about the tournament because when we made the run, so many Providence fans came on the roll. Like <laughs> you would think we <laughs> you would think we had home games. It was so many fans on the roll at the hotel. And I think Providence Nation brought that whole vibe to the whole world because because this this is a crazy story, right? So I get you know I get drafted, I get drafted. The first game we play against Chicago Bulls, so against Chicago. So in the NBA, you know, if you're a rookie, you come out, you work out first. And on on some teams, star players come work out first before fans get there, so people won't like bother them or whatever. And I remember. I stepped on the court. We played Chicago. I stepped on the court on, on, on my side of the court to work out early. And Michael Jordan was working out. And, and, and you know, of course, I'm at awe at this point. I'm like, oh, you know, it's not. So I go up to him and I'm like, excuse me. I'm like, man, I just want to thank you for everything you did for basketball. And I'm like, yeah, my name is. And he said, I know who you are, Sham God. And he was like, tell Corey Wright he cost me some money for shooting that shot. Man, I thought y'all was going to win the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and that's just that's just something you don't forget because like us and the whole Friar Nation galvanized the world so much at that time that you had a person like Michael Jordan that, that was at North Carolina that was rooting for us to win, you know, because we came in with that underdog mentality, like we're not taking no for an answer. You know, it's like David against Goliath, you know, because everywhere, every, every uh, round we went, they said we were supposed to lose. You know, and then we beat Duke by so much. Then we played Mike Bibby and them. And then, you know, of course, all that happened. And then, you know, in the middle of all that, that's when the move happened. Mm-hmm. And it, the move just took on a life of its own. And, of course, just, you know, took took whatever legend or whatever you want to say I had and just put it to another stratosphere. 
you know, just, it was, like I said, it was just an amazing feeling. And, you know, we were so happy and it just brought us together and kept us so tight for over, over all these years. And, you know, I just, I just like to be a part of winning. And, you know, when the, when the fans see me, I always want them to know, you know, that, you know, none of that would be possible without the fans of Providence, you know, because I, I just had so, we just felt so much pride playing for Providence, you know, when we stepped on the court. We thought we could beat anybody and we knew, like, we wasn't, we was never going out without a fight. Yeah. And that was an amazing run. It's something that Friar fans will remember, you know, for forever and it'll forever be <laughs> etched in Friar history. And I think this is a good segue to talk about your current role with the Mavericks and how this, you know, and how this all came together from you, you know, winning a Big East title with PC, you know, working mm-hmm. with Chris and Bryce, Kyron and Ben, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. And tell us about working with Dirk, an NBA Hall of Famer, your your, uh-huh. your relationship with Harrison Barnes, like his, his best years have been with mm-hmm. the Mavericks. And, you know, it seemed like yeah. you guys had a great friendship and, yeah. and, and of course, Luke, right now yeah i mean it's just it's just um you know providence like i said me coming back to providence was you know going there first was the the first best decision i made coming back is the second best decision i made mm-hmm. in my personal life because you know without bob driscoll steve knapp you know and and coach cooley you know put me on a on a path of coaching you know because up until that point you know i was training nba players but i i, I didn't really have like an idea that like I wanted to coach or where I would coach at and things like that. And me coming back, finishing my degree because I promised my mother I would finish my degree. And then coach, coach Cooley opening the doors for me, you know, at that point in my life, you know, helping me, you know, figure things out at a, at a time in my life where I need to figure things out. And Bob Driscoll always being in my corner, Steve Knapp always being in my corner, you know, and they wanted the best for me. So, you know, they, uh, they pulled out all the stops for me to help me to catapult my career. And like I said, you know, then the next stage, you know, with me and Mark Cuban, we had a relationship before already because, you know, I went I went to Summer League with Dallas Mavericks before. But then it was other teams like the Lakers, San Antonio, different teams I was talking to. And I just felt comfortable, like I said, with Mark Cuban, you know, being a tremendous person he is and a great owner he is, you know, and, and having talked to him and, Mike Procopio, who was the head of player development when I first got to the Mavs, you know, believing in me, you know, it's just just like a dream come true for me to be back and get back into the NBA because that was like one of my biggest goals and my biggest destination. And now, like you said, for me to work with, you know, whether it's Victor Aladipo, Ben Gordon, uh, Chauncey Billups at the time before he stopped, um, Harrison Barnes, Dennis Smith Jr., well, there's Trey Young, um, you know, so many kids I knew before this, like Zion, Deontay Aiden, coaching them in the Dita Nation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I got to the Mavs, you know, they just wanted me to be Sham God and one of these, you know, and they already knew my relationship with players, you know, whether it's high school players, college players, NBA players. And they, you know, they knew the impact I could have and I knew the impact I could have and, started with, you know, Harrison Barnes, Wes Matthews, Seth Curry, and now, you know, it's Luka Doncic, Christoph Spazingas, Tim Hardaway Jr. And, you know, skies is the limits for them guys. You know, we're just working hard and just trying to make waves in the NBA. You know, last year was a good year. And we're just trying to build on that right now and just, like, keep giving back. You know, for me, it's just to keep giving back and keep passing along the knowledge and helping helping the next generation of basketball players as best as I can, 
you know, and in the midst of me doing that, me learning from them too, like learning from a person like Dirk, you know, who's an all-time great, you know, for him to even listen to me is an honor, you know, because you know, I listen to me, you know, stuff like that. And now to, you know, to be here, you know, whether it's Luka Doncic, Christos Porzingis, I'm always honored and humbled that, you know, players even listen, let alone let me work with them and, and just help, you know, help their career. You know, it's just an amazing feeling. That's all. Absolutely. And and trust that every time that we see, like, we saw Christoph Przingis recently post, you know, we're, you know, in the lab with Sham or Tim Hardaway Jr., like, Friar fans cheer every time we see that. We're just, we're like, that. that's what makes, you know, you so great and your legacy continuing on when your current role in the NBA. But let's talk about the Puma Sham God collection. Like, obviously, you have your own signature shoe. You have a couple different other things you've worked on with Puma. Tell us about your relationship with them and how it all came together. Uh, it all came together because at first I was talking to them as just being a consultant. Because like I told you before, because of my relationship with, because uh, it all started from uh, my last year at Providence, because of my relationship with high school kids around the country, because there's so many kids that their parents reach out to me. It's funny because it's like God always had me on this path. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I wanted to be in the NBA for 20 years and be this and that. But it's like God always had me on this path because from the first time, like I said, when Kobe Bryant's father asked me to work him out, since since then and since beyond my career, that's how that's how I know kids now. You know, there's so many parents that email me, you know, even when I was in Providence, there's so many parents that email me. Hey, can you can you work on my kid? Hey, can I send you video on my kid? Can you tell me what he needs to learn or what he needs to do and things like that from, you know, from, like I said, from me, you know, talking to Trey Young when he was in high school to Dennis Smith Jr., Harry Giles, Tatum, that's at, you know, Boston Celtics, you know, Jalen Brown, you know, all those kids, you know, I coached them at Adidas Nation or Elite 24 and Under Armour. So I knew them, I know them kids for a long time. And their parents, you know, because you got to think their parents is my era. So, you know, their parents grew up either playing playing against me or grew up on me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you understand what I'm saying. So absolutely. Yeah. So of course they reach out and you know, when somebody when people label you as something like, oh, the best at something, of course people reach out and ask for advice on things like that. And I've always been able to give real advice without putting myself and in a way where it's like, oh, I want to steer your career. I want to do this. It's all, this is all help because it was times in my life where I felt I needed help and, and I didn't have that. So I always promised myself if I ever had the chance to help the next generation, I would do that, you know, because, you know, it was, it was times like even when I was in Providence and I made the decision to leave early, you know, that was, that was, that was one of the reasons because I didn't have somebody to talk to. I didn't have somebody to say, hey, what you think about this? And the people that I could talk to, they were so scared not to be my friend that anything I said, they agreed with. Yeah. And then years later, they're like, oh, you should have did this. I'm like, well, when I asked you, why didn't you say nothing? Mm-hmm. You know, so I've always said, if I had the opportunity to help somebody and help guide them and give them my honest opinion about something, I would. And, you know, and so far, so good, you know, in my career. And I think that's why players you know, reach out to me and, and players connect with me because it's never about me. It's always about them. You know what I'm saying? It's always about them because at the end of the day, whether I ever work with somebody ever again or not, I'm going to be sham guard and nothing else, you know? So, so I don't have to, 
lie or sugarcoat or say, hey, this or make something bigger than what it is. So I think that's why players connect with me. And then most of the time I work players out there, them or their parents are, are fans of mine just as I'm fans of theirs. So so it kind of gives me a way to being honest without it affecting, you know, without them saying, ah, oh, now I want to hear that. You know, they, they listen. And I just felt like my whole life God's been pushing me in this way to give back and to help other kids. So when I start talking to Puma, they was asking me about all this stuff about, you know, New York City because they wanted to bring basketball back. And they was like, hey, where we should do this at? And and I was like telling them what players they should look at, you know, and different players and in different cities and stuff like that. And because of our conversation, then they just came back and they was like, man, we looking for people. Why we just don't make you an ambassador? And I was like, well, I could do that. I was like, but if I'm going to be an ambassador, it has to be about my community. Like anything I do is for my community because I, I give a lot of free camps, free clinics and, you know, free food and stuff like that in the summertime. And I always wanted to be for the next generation. So we sat down and we came up with this plan and, like I said, it's been a great partnership to the point now that it's funny because when I got with Dallas, it was like that was the the most time people was doing like the Shamgar move and things like that. So it just took on a life of its own again, because now when somebody do it in the NBA and most of the time I'm sitting on the NBA bench. So the reference is right there. So it was always like, oh, you know, and Shamgar is with Dallas Mavericks. Oh, so I'm blessed enough to live in my inspiration. You know, like people, most people don't get to see the people they inspire or, you know, when they pass along, then they hear their family or somebody hear about, oh, you know, just, you know, he inspires so many people and things like that. Well, well, I'm blessed every day to live in it, you know, because I'm right there and I'm so close to it. So I don't take that for granted. And, you know, I just I just, you know, I just try to follow the path God put me on and. And when people when people see me, I want them to see what he put what he put in me and and what he want me to give to the world. That's what I want to give. And so then we came up with a, a sneaker, and they let me design the sneaker from head to toe, which is an amazing thing because I could have been in the NBA for thirty years and not got a shoe deal, or I could have been in the NBA for twenty years and messed it up. <laughs> no, no, no telling what would happen. So I just think you know God, you know did what he had to do, you know, because you got to think I'm I'm blessed. Like, I played 20 games in the NBA. I'm more known than people that played in the NBA for 30 years, or so that's all-stars. And right now I'm still passing on knowledge to to the youth and things like that. So, you know, how many people get to say, like, you know, in their field or their job or whatever their career is that they could leave something better than better than how they found it? You know what I'm saying? And and I'm one of those people because, you know, whether I'm dead and gone, when I'm dead and gone, Shamgar is going to live forever. And, you know, one thing I know is, you know, I I made I made dribbling better than how I found it, you know, as far as for guards that's coming up for point guards and things like that. And, you know, like I said, I'm just blessed. The shoe is a replica of my, my, my path through life. You know, it's a... Uh, this is, is the color of my high school jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, I got 1997 on there for Providence College for the Elite Eight. Um, they got the concrete on the side 
prefer because you know everybody like to say New York is a concrete jungle. So I got that on there. And then inside of the sneaker, I got the move, the tutorial, how to do the move. Cause everywhere I go, people always ask me how you did this, how you do that. And you know, for me, I take Providence College and LaSalle Academy with me wherever I go, you know, and I try to be a perfect representation of that because, you know, like I said, Providence was an amazing time for me. They taught me so much. And in my first act and in my second act, they even taught me more, you know. So, you know, I just like to be a great representation of Providence. And when people think of Providence, you know, I want them to think of me and I want I want them to be proud of me when they see the things that I'm trying to do and I'm trying to accomplish. And, you know, that's for me, as long as I could do that, I'm good. I mean, I think I speak for all Friar fans when I say that we couldn't be more proud of everything you are and how you represent Friar Town. And your shoe, the shoe is absolute fire. It's it's amazing. Oh, and, 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 and and anybody who's looking for some dribbling tutorial, you might need to just get the shoes just for that. Like, cause yeah. you, know, you can learn, you can learn the sham God uh, through the tutorial, but it's good. It's good. Cause you know, I got, I got another shoe coming out in like a month or so with a sweatsuit and the sweats is funny. Cause the sweatsuit is Providence colors. You know the gray and black and the the, the white, so it's, it's 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 nice. And then you know, and then I'll be up there soon because right now, uh, you know, I'm in talks with like three producers to do a Shamgar movie. So you know, I just was talking to them and I was just telling them like, you know, if we do it, it has to be shot in New York and it has to be shot in Rhode Island. So right. you know, that's what that's what I'm working on now. And you know, and you know, right now, you know, the Mavs. You know, we got a great thing going. We got a great team. You know, we got stars on the team, Luka Doncic, Christos Pozingas. You know, we got a great coach in Rick Carlisle. Mm -hmm. You know, and we got an amazing owner in Mark Cuban for, for everything that's going on in the world, you know, mm -hmm. for all the people that lost people. You know, I hope everybody, you know, is taking time out to be with their family and understand what's going on in the world. And, just come out of this thing better. And if you look around, you know, Mark Cuban is always on the forefront of everything that's right and everything that's positive, you know. And then I'm with a great agency, you know, Rock Nation with Jay-Z, you know, uh, my management team and stuff like that over there. And there's another person, you know, like I said, I've been blessed to have great people in my life. Like I said, I got, I got Mark Cuban I could talk to about stuff. I got Jay-Z to talk to about stuff. It's not, it's not so much, it's not so much that I'm trying to, um, I'm not, I'm not going in things blind no more. Like how, when I went into the draft and I feel like I have people to talk to. So, you know, I think everything is aligning right with me right now. And great energy attracts more great energy. Number one. Man, and and if, that again. And, and, and if honestly, like if anybody who's listening to this podcast, you know, when I drop it, they're going to realize that you're just as authentic and it's true to where you come from. It's, it's just about anybody. So, man, and you know, like I said, Providence is doing their thing, you know, watching David Duke and Reeves and all of them do their thing up there. It's, it's a good feeling, you know, especially with, um, you know, with David Dukes, you know, it's, it's funny cause I saw him when I was at Providence, um, I think he was either in the ninth grade or something, but he was a lot shorter. And I remember me and coach Blaney went to see him play. And I was like, man, we went to see somebody. It was somebody else we went to see play. And I was like, man, this kid is good. 
And, you know, Coach Blaney was saying how good he was, too. And I was like, man, he's good. And then it's, it's amazing to see, like, a couple of years later, he grew, I guess, like four or five inches, six inches. And now, you know, he's almost getting triple doubles in the Big East. So, you know, the sky's the limit for him. The sky's the limit for Providence College. And, you know, I got all the people in the NBA looking at Providence College, you know. And like I said, I know they're going to do their thing. They got a great coach. And Coach Cooley, you know, who's who's real as they come and who's, who's up in Providence, you know, leading the way. Absolutely. He's our local guy leading the charge and, you know, you know, honestly couldn't be more grateful for him, but Sham, yeah. we, we couldn't be more grateful for you. Like from your days leading us to an elite eight somewhere we hadn't been in a while to representing us in the NBA, all, you know, overseas in China and across the world mm-hmm. and, you know, bringing it back home to leading us to a big East championship as a coach and now representing us well in the NBA. I think it's safe to say that your legacy will be cemented in Friartown forever and we couldn't thank you enough for joining us today and sharing these stories. And you know, any any last words for some Friar fans out there? Man, let's 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 get back to the tournament. Let's make some noise, which I know we're going to do. You know, I want to thank uh, Steve Knapp. You know, I call him Steve Knapp. You know, and you know Bob Driscoll. You know, for helping me find my second act in life. You know, because it wasn't for them guys right there, I wasn't. You know, I didn't even think about a lot of stuff. You know, as far as, you know, uh, finishing up in Providence, thinking about, you know, my next career. You know, I also want to, you know, thank Coach Cooley, you know, because, you know, he did something for me at a time when nobody couldn't do for me. So he will always be, you know, thank I will always be thankful for that. And, you know, just for the fans, for always believing in me. You know, even when I left school early, I know that was a hard thing for them to embrace me when I came back, you know to winning the Big East uh, championship. You know, I just want to always thank them for, you know, always making the underdogs feel like stars, always, you know, and Friartown will always be in my heart and I will always be a Friar. Appreciate it, Cham, and you certainly yeah. will always be a Friar. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, mm. We can't, you know, we're excited to watch you continue your career in the NBA, working with some of the best and, you know, we're always behind you and thank you, thank you for the memories. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to episode six of the Friar podcast. And of course, a thank you to Friar all-time great, God Sham God. We are back again next week. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Friar podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on Apple podcasts, as well as SoundCloud. If you enjoy our content and of course, Go Friars.